Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. We're looking at 1 John chapter 3 today. This is the fourth message in this series. And the two main points that I feel like are coming out of this, I'm just going to do chapter 3 today, chapter 4 next week, maybe a little bit of 5. But hear this, and I didn't put these as statements up there, but I will put these in a blog so that you can have the statement itself. But the statements that I feel like God said is, loving others is the highest form of obedience to Christ. Loving others is the highest form of obedience to Christ. And, and we'll kind of mine that out as we go through 1 John 3. But he associates so much to loving others, laying your life down, um, not holding hatred in your heart towards your brothers and sisters. The, the, the very outworking of righteousness, God's righteousness in you is not sinless behavior, It's loving others. Does that mean you should continue in sin? No, God forbid. Don't you know that you're not under sin anymore but under grace? The sin thing is the sin thing. And and, and that's what you see really kind of parsed out in this letter of John is there's the love thing and the sin thing. They're They're both significant. Don't attach them to each other in terms of if you sin and you don't love, maybe you're not saved. It's that sin is destructive. Sin is tearing apart the body of Christ. Sin is tearing apart your life. Sin reaps death. It's not God saying, oh, you sinned, so now I've got to pepper a little bit of death into your life. No, it produces on its own, right? It just does. Don't you know that? Yes, we know that. So loving others is the highest form of obedience to Christ. Why? Because there's a lot packed in that goes into loving others. It teaches your heart to trust Him to receive what He wants to do for you and through you. Loving others teaches your heart to receive what He wants to do for you and through you. Those are the two kind of big big things I want to get out of this. So let's go through this. Going to get a little technical in a couple places, but we'll circle back to that idea. Behold, so 1 John 3, verse 1, behold what manner of love, and you know, it's, it's good timing because the church needs to be a voice in, the, in our world, and our weapon is our unity and our love for one another and then turning that toward the world. That's what we want to do with this Friday night thing. You know, because this Friday night, this coming Friday night is our worship night in downtown Noonan. Uh, It starts at 7. We're actually going to be here about 2 o'clock, starting to get everything ready, load it up, take it down, get set up. You're welcome to come early. What what time do we plan on being in downtown Noonan? I think we plan on being there at 3 or 4. The plan will be 3. You can touch base with us if you want to help out on that day, carry things or whatever, help us get set up. But, the, but that, that's what we're going to do is call the body to unity in love. Not going to beg God to send revival. Revival will happen when the church stands up. Okay. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Man. Therefore... The world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet yet been revealed what we shall be. So that's kind of like spirit is complete, affecting the rest of your being. At some point, will also be translated as well. So now we're the children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's future, but it's also right now, you know? 
You, you, if you have a specific, this, this, is, this is kind of sowing the word 101. You have an area of your life that needs to change. Look into the word about where Jesus reflected that and then how, what it says about you in that particular area and spend time sowing that into your mind and your heart. Speak it out loud. Write those passages down. Speak them over yourself. I am this. Kind of like we did this morning. The Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I am His child. You're not doing that to try to make God do something. You're not doing that to try to make it true. You're doing that to assure your heart before Him that you are that in your spirit so that you live from that. Some people call that psychobabble programming. Call it what you want. I call it sowing the Word. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And that part of you that is fully in him is not sinful by nature. Now, you might commit acts of sin. I don't recommend that, but that doesn't change your nature. Your nature is now one with God in spirit. Your nature is now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That which is physical cannot affect that which is spiritual, but that which is spiritual can affect that which is physical or even soulish. Does that make sense? It's like it only goes one way here. So... Then verse 6 is the one I want to, you know, the, so last week I didn't really unpack that as well as I wanted to, but I will today. So verse 6 is the one that scares people. Whoever abides in, it really, it, it only confuses us when we are carnal and legalistic in our thinking. And we are all that way sometimes. Some parts of Christianity live there, live in legalistic mindsets. And always interpret this in terms of your spirit, your salvation is always on the line. You know, I think what John is doing is actually the same thing that Paul's doing. Is he's talking about the difference between being spiritually minded and carnally minded. You go back and you look in, in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Paul's really creating this dichotomy of living from your true eternal self, living from spirit, or living from flesh. And John's doing the same thing just in different terms. You're either living influenced by the spirit within you or you are living subjected to your five senses that are engaged in the world around you. Which one do you want to live from? So, verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. All right, let's spend a little bit of time on that. Remember... 1 John, and these are taken straight out of this letter. 1 John was written for these reasons, and this is 1 John 2.12. He's writing so that you know your sins are forgiven. I will even add to that, 2 Corinthians 5. God is not holding your sin against you, and that's the message that he tells the church to go tell the world. God's not holding your sin against you. Why? Because Jesus is the sin offering for the entire world. Does that mean you should continue in sin? No. Does that mean sin is of no consequence? No. It just means your sin is not how God is choosing to relate to you now. He's choosing to relate to you based on your identity in Him as a righteous child of God. But He will absolutely address that sin issue. Stop it and grow up when it comes to your sin because it's killing you. So, don't forget your sins are forgiven. Remember verse chapter 2? Don't sin, but if you do, remember you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ of propitiation, sin offering not for yours, but for the whole world also. So, so the second one is he instructs us not to sin, but if we do, remember that Jesus is our advocate. And we went into that, I think, in the second message. Another reason he's writing this letter is so that you would know that you're saved so that you would know that you have eternal life. That's 1 John 5, 13. He didn't write it to make you question your salvation. He didn't write it to make you look at your track record to determine whether or not you are saved. 
He wrote it so that you would know that you're saved in Jesus. And because you're saved and your sins are forgiven in Jesus, forgive one another and love one another. And cut out the sin. Verse 4, he instructs us to confess our sin, admitting that Christians might sin. You know, there's a debate. 1 John 1, 9 is written to just Gnostics. It wasn't written to Christians. Well, everything in the Bible is written to Christians. There are letters to Christians. They can apply to unbelievers once they become born again or just universal information. But no, Christians should confess sin. But the context is not to be forgiven over and over and over and over and over and over but to presently experience and remind yourself of that forgiveness. And we went and looked at 2 Peter, all of that stuff to add to your faith. If you are not displaying godly behavior and character, it's because you have forgotten that you're forgiven. So when you sin, it's because you have forgotten that your sins were already cleansed. Not because, oh, maybe I'm not saved and let me somehow try to figure out how to sinlessness my way into being saved. It's important that we get detailed about this kind of stuff because the body of Christ needs to be versed in the gospel. We need to be versed in the word of righteousness so that we can bring a confident gospel to people. Amen? All right. So if we think through this particular passage again, you can go back to, uh, yep, stay there. If we think through this passage at face value, there's two possibilities. One, if you sin, maybe you're not truly saved. The other is, if you sin, you're not presently experiencing God. Those are the two conclusions you can draw from that. Maybe I'm not saved, or maybe just in this moment I'm not experiencing God. The verb tenses in Greek lend itself to the second one, which is, in this moment, if you're in sin, if you're committing an act of sin, it is because in this present moment, you are not experiencing God. It doesn't mean that you've never met God. It just means in this moment, you are not being influenced by His Spirit within you. Now, let's look at those verb tenses just to show that. You know, and it's difficult for us to kind of grasp this concept because we have three tenses, past, present, future. Greek has seven. It's like a way of thinking that we didn't grow up with, thinking about particular tenses. It's not a practical aspect of how we think about things. And so you kind of have to dig into this, and it feels like you're learning something technical. And it's like, I don't know that I really fully get it, but then the Spirit, spirit bears witness to you to help you understand it. So the tense, it, let's look at a couple definitions. So seen, uh, whoever sins has, not seen, has neither seen him nor known him. The word seen means to perceive. You know, it's kind of like associated with the idea of seeing with the eyes of your heart. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we would know the hope of his calling, right? You, the eye, your, eye, your heart, this new part of you that God gave you, God gave you a new heart, perceives God. It looks at God. If you're sitting there and you're wondering what to do about your life and you're wondering, you're struggling, you've got this thing that you're dragging around, it's bothering you, you don't know what to do with it, and then you, and then you pray and you look to the Lord and it's like, Oh, there's some hope that comes. Oh, I see. I, you know, I can, I can go a different way with this thing. This doesn't have to define me. This doesn't have to rob me of my future. This, doesn't, this is not who I am. You know, that's when you perceive God. You begin to see a different future, a different reality for yourself. You, some hope comes alive. That all happens in your heart. Those aren't just poetic phrases. That's an aspect of you can perceive the Spirit of God within you and be nourished and fed by that Spirit. And in that moment, Jesus says that He would give us His Spirit, and that Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth, show us things to come, remind us of what the Father said. You know, John 14, 15. So, has not seen is perceived. And so it's more than just, oh, I've seen Him. It's more like, there's a perception, there's an experience, or known, and known means to understand or have knowledge of, not have you ever met him. Because like the worst translation of this is, if you're sinning, you don't know God, and you've never met him. You ain't saved. 
I'm not even so sure that you're going to have the opportunity to get saved. You might be one of those ones that God created for destruction. Here's the offering basket. <laughs> Give your 10% or God will not rebuke the devourer for you. You're cursed if you don't give. All that stuff gets wrapped up in that. It just does. And it's disgusting because Jesus was cursed for us. So, has neither seen and has neither known are perfect tense. That's the verb tense in Greek. Perfect tense is this. Let me read this to you. The basic thought of the perfect, so there's, again, there's seven tenses in Greek. There is a past tense, but then there's also a perfect tense. Past tense is happened in the past, done. In other words, you know, some, something that happened to me back then, I ate that hamburger way back then, 10 years ago, and it's done, it's final, it's out there. But if you got married 10 years ago, that has an effect now. There's something still affecting your life now. That hamburger you ate 10 years ago probably isn't. Or... Let's say something external. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. Because I hear people technically, well, that hamburger 10 years ago contributed to... to, to, to. I, I could almost point out which one of y'all is thinking that way. <laughs> Don't do that. All right? So here, let's, let's go. Perfect tense. The basic thought of the perfect tense is that the progress of an action has been completed and the results of the action are continuing on. So you could say the results of the action of having seen him are not continuing on in this moment. You're born again, but it's not affecting your life in this moment because you're choosing to sin. Uh, so, or in full effect. In other words, the progress of the action has reached its culmination and the finished results are now in existence. Unlike the English perfect, which indicates a completed past action, the Greek perfect tense indicates the continuation and present state of a completed past action. So it's affecting you now, right? So based on these tenses, you can go into the Young's literal translation or just even an interlinear, I say just even, that's actually more complex, and look at this sentence now. Well, your sounds like you got to, I don't know why I get to get all complicated. Can I just read the Bible? Well, yeah, you can. But if you really want to get what it's saying, read it in the Greek. Because that's what this was written in originally. And it was translated from them speaking in Aramaic. So they heard it spoken in Aramaic, probably, which was a form of Hebrew, and then wrote it down in the Greek. And then we have an English version after probably going through other stuff. So based on the verb tenses, seen and known, we can say this. If anyone sins as a Christian, it doesn't mean they have never known him. It means they are not presently knowing him. Think of marriage. You know what I'm saying? Let that one sink in. So this is from Enduring Word Commentary. And y'all know we don't normally get this technical, but it's important because when you approach the Bible and let the body be the body and people function in their parts, it helps us become more whole in our understanding and in our application and also brings us to a place of, of surety before him. You know, he wrote this letter so that you would know that your sins are forgiven, so that you would know that you have eternal life. If you read it and it makes you wonder if you have eternal life, you're not reading it to the intent that the, the author wrote it. So you're missing something. All right, so this is a commentary. I'm not a big fan of commentaries, but this is from EnduringWord.com, and I just like the way he says it about this particular verse. It's very important to understand what the Bible means and what it doesn't mean when it says, does not sin. According to verb tenses, John uses does not sin to mean does not live a life style of habitual sin. John has already told us in 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In 1 John 1.8, the grammar indicates John is speaking about occasional acts of sin. The grammar in 1 John 3.6 indicates that 
John is speaking of a settled, continued lifestyle of sin. John is not teaching here the possibility of sinless perfection. Because if the context is, if you sin, maybe you're not saved and God expects sinlessness from you. But he inspired John to say, don't sin. But if you do, remember that you have an advocate with the Father, meaning your sins are already forgiven. Are you with me? He's not expecting sinlessness. That'd be great, but, but it's impossible because the definition of sin is anything not of faith. And I promise you, you're going to do something today that's not from faith. That, that's the bar. So if you ever wonder, am I, I've had people message me and tell me, well, I haven't sinned. I just don't sin. Like on our YouTube, just recently, somebody commented on our YouTube channel going after me about something. And so I just started asking some questions. Well, do you sin? Well, no, because I love the Lord. I remain obedient. I'm like, do you think you're ever going to sin before you die? They hadn't answered that one yet. I'm waiting on that one to come back. <laughs> now, does that mean we're creating a platform for you to choose, well, I'm going to take that license and run out and sin? No, absolutely not. I'm teaching you who you are in Him so that you will live well within the freedom that He's given you. You don't have to live afraid of His judgment and wrath and condemnation because you're delivered from it. Now live well and worthy of that thing because it's already who you are. It's the state that you live in within Him. Now how do I live well within it? You love people. Like the quickest way to get yourself out of your funk is love people. Let's keep going. Uh, back over to 1 John 3. Let's pick back up in 7. Is that helpful for you? Okay. I got one yes, so I'll take it. <laughs> I know we're all still in our meditative states over here and God bear witness with our spirit. Everybody good? Make y'all stand up and do the hokey pokey for a minute. <laughs> All right. Well, I was thinking, like you said, it's not just the sin of commission, it's the sin of omission. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, I mean, to think, like you said, anyone knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do the sins. So it's not just committing, but it's just the things that we don't do. Do we mm -hmm. always pray as much as we should? No. Right, I mean, which would be sinful, yeah. I mean, how often do we think we ignore God? All the time. You sinful thing, you. Maybe you're not saved. Like, if you really look at what sin is, and then you question if you're saved whether or not you sin, you're crazy. And it drives people crazy. All right, let's keep going. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who so now we're going to see the context is practicing sin. And I made this point last week. Uh, so let's see. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who, and you, because the context is practices or habitually sins is of the devil. And influenced. For the devil has sinned from the beginning for the purpose of the Son of Man or Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not habitually practice sin for his seed remains in him and cannot keep on practicing sin because he has been born of God. Sin's just not as fun as it used to be, is it? You get born again, it's like, oh, God, I didn't used to worry about it when I would. Are you with me? Like some of you that have been born again and you've lived pretty well for a while and then you slip back into that stuff, woe be unto you. Man, that's the worst. That's real condemnation. Because now you know better. Oh, thank God I'm forgiven in Him. I don't, have to, I don't have to stay there. Think about practicing, right? How many of you ever played a sport before? Or an instrument or something that you had to practice at, right? So that's the context. Practicing sin or practicing righteousness. Again, Practicing righteousness is mostly expressed in intentionally walking in love toward others, walking in the light. That's the context he keeps going back to. What does practicing sin look like? 
You know, if, you, if you have to schedule, if you're scheduling your sin, you're practicing it. If you're driving to make appointments to do it, or you like, you're, it's like you're scheduling your outrage by when you get on Facebook and you watch the political posts. Just get, just get ready, okay? Just get ready, because it's going to get crazy. It's going to get crazier between now and then. especially if they don't let those two debate. Can you imagine? I really want them to debate. I think that'll kind of draw a clear line. But if they don't, which could happen? You know, I mean, think about how crazy that could be. That presidential candidates don't debate? What? Well, it's because, well. (laughs) But just get ready. You know, because it could get even nuttier. But practicing sin. You know, we all slip up. We all fall. We all stumble. It's going to happen. But if you're practicing it, if you're suiting up for it, you're putting your cleats on, you're tying your laces, and you're getting your glove, and you're getting your hat, and you're scheduling your appointment to be at the ball field of sin, what are you doing? Practice some righteousness in between there and, and disrupt those patterns, Right? How do you practice it? I've got an exercise to end with in just a second here. So, verse 10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, uh, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, you also have to look at what they were dealing with at that time. They were specific deceivers in the church trying to draw people away from faith in Christ And there was a deception that was like witchcraft going on with them. So, verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now he's back on this again. And he anchors it back to this. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. So how do you practice sin? All this that we've read essentially boils down to you don't, you're not abiding in Christ or allowing His words to abide in you. That's how you intentionally practice sin. How do you intentionally practice righteousness? You allow His word to abide in you and you love people. You worship God, love God, love people. Let's keep going. Don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love the... Now, why is He telling them that? Is He not telling them... You should be questioning your salvation. No, he affirms again. No, you've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. What? Passed from death to life because we love the brethren? It's so tied. Loving one another is so tied to the expression of our righteousness. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Again, the context is the proof that you're saved is that you love people, not sinless behavior but don't choose sin. All right, verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now you go back over to Ephesians 3 and you look at this idea of he's praying that we would open our hearts to God essentially to allow Christ to dwell in our hearts. Now he's talking about born again people, praying for them, that Christ would dwell in their hearts. So in this, you get the sense, again, from a different perspective, different language, sometimes you're abiding in Him and sometimes you're not. Does that mean that you are born again sometimes and not born again sometimes? No. It means sometimes you're under His influence and sometimes you're not. But you yourself are saved. You yourself In your eternal state, your sins have been forgiven. God is not holding your sins against you. Your present sins are creating destruction for you. God's not mocked. You're not just going to get away with it. It's going to reap destruction in your life. Verse 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also are to lay down our lives for our brethren. Start start thinking about that because I'm going to kind of bring it in for a landing here. Laying our lives down. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
withholding, lack. So if you're going to be pressed on anything to determine your salvation, are you loving people? Now, that's not what you're supposed to use it for because some of y'all question you should question your salvation every time you get on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Those demon Democrats, those flag-waving Republicans, or whatever it might be. So, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. That is incredibly powerful. You want to assure your heart before him? Walk in love toward others. For Verse 20. And this, this, is, this next grouping of passages here is, to me, one of the most profound group of... Uh, con, it's one of the most profound concepts in Scripture, what he's about to say here. It ties the heart into it. It ties receiving from the Lord into it. It ties keeping His commandments, the commandments of Christ into it. And the promise that whatever you ask of God have the potential to be incredibly offensive to you. And that's what we need to guard our hearts against is if we become offended at the Word. Because we're going to read the Word and we're looking at the Word. And if the Word offends us, watch out. And there's also a warning to not have hatred or offense toward our brothers and sisters. If, you, if, you have a, if you're feeling offended toward someone or a, a hate even toward someone, watch out. Watch out. Because there's another father out there that's going to try to speak into your life and you don't even know that you're susceptible to it. Are you with me? Watch out when we're offended. You watch out. Guard your heart because that's when you become manipulated, manipulatable. Is that a word? You're suggestible. Potentially something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right, so here, verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Stay in verse 20 for just a minute. If your heart condemn you, God's not condemning you. you. Do you realize that? Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not condemning you. But you might be. Or legalistic, pharisaical teachings in your past might be condemning you, meaning you're letting that stuff continue to condemn you. Condemnation is you're expecting to be judged. Condemnation is when you're condemned, you're sentenced, and you are sent off to experience the penalty of that sentence, however long the duration might be. That's condemnation. I got it coming, and I know I got it coming. And there's no way around it. And your heart will condemn you. Your heart will condemn you when you're not walking in holiness and righteousness. Your heart will condemn you when you're not walking in love toward one another. You are your own judge in this, moment, in this passage here. God's already judged you in Christ. But you are judging you. You are condemning you. And if you think God is condemning you, it's because you don't really know that He loves you. If you're, if you're worried about what God might do to you is because you don't know that you're already judged in Christ. Now, does that make you want to run out and sin? I hope not. If that makes you feel... Well, let me keep going. So, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Praise God. Praise God that He's greater than our heart. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart, now watch this, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Stay on 21. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. There's, there's so much in this. Some of us don't have confidence toward God in specific areas. It might be because your heart is condemning you. How do I get out of this condemnation? Watch where he goes with it. Watch this. It's a, it, and this is like, I'm telling you how profound this is. It's simple, but 
if we will put it into practice, it can radically change our lives. Watch where he goes here. So verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive of him. Now you're sitting there thinking, well, how do I get my, my heart to not condemn me? Uh, where is it that we assure our hearts before him? So you're in class right now. It's okay. It's just right, right above it. My, my eyes are... Which verse is it? No, it's further. It's up. That we are sure our hearts before him. What is it? Okay, I just went way on past it. This is another that we are of the truth and assure our hearts. So in other words, walking in love assures our hearts before him. Not walking in love causes us to feel condemned. Now, you might not be walking in love toward you, which creates great condemnation. I'll just leave that out there. Verse 22, and whatever, so, this, so this, is, this is the result of having confidence before God, verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And I love that verse 23 is in there because it says, and this is the commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Verse 22, what are the commandments? Verse 23, believe on the Son, love toward walking in love toward one another. What assures your heart before God? When you don't have confidence before God, what assures your heart before Him? Walking in love toward yourself and toward others and loving Him. It is the expression of righteousness. It is the highest form of obedience to the law of Christ, to the commandments of Christ, is to walk in love toward one another. I mean, you see it, right? It's really that simple. But we don't do it. We don't intentionally organize our lives to walk in love. We stay offended. We look for opportunities to be divided. We look for reasons to hold on to our trauma. And because of our current actions, we give ourselves plenty of opportunity to blame other people for our problems which is almost the same as holding hate in your heart toward that person because how dare you blame that person for your problem? No matter what they did, forgive them, move on, send it away, quit letting it control you. And if you're being abused and traumatized in this moment, you're in that kind of a situation, take action, get out, seek help, talk to somebody, do something. Don't stay there. Amen? All right, so... Let me just read that again, verse 20. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because your heart is confident toward Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight, and this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave commandment. Verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. What commandments? Believe on the name of the Son, the authority of Jesus Christ, and love one another. How do you abide in him? How do you not yield yourself to habitual sin? How do you not stay in this 1 John 3, 6 scripture of I'm not presently knowing him? How do I allow him to abide in me? How do I knowing him? How does it stay active and present within me? Now he who keeps his commandments. What commandments? Believe on who he is and love people. We don't, know, we don't trust the power of the gospel. We don't trust the power of acknowledging who he is because we don't know that we are the same in him. So when you acknowledge who he is, it should bear witness to your spirit that you are that as well. You're not the Messiah. You're not going to become God. But everything else, you are a co-heir with Jesus. You have inherited God. 
And if you're continuing in sin, it's because you have forgotten that you're forgiven. And to get out of it is you believe on who Jesus is. Not get born again, but who is he? Who is he in this moment, this thing that I'm struggling with? Who is Jesus in this? Jesus faced this. He was tempted in everything like we are yet without sin. He faced it all. And on the cross, he became it. The authority of Jesus is displayed on that cross in the death, in the burial, in the resurrection, in who he is now, that advocate that continually offers intercession for us in this moment, even right now. Who is he in that moment? Who is he in your heart and in this moment right now? Like we're not really actively engaged with that. Like we learned that in Bible school or Sunday school. But like do we live there? Do we let the authority and the identity of Christ be so awe-inspiring in our minds and our hearts in this moment to the point that it starts to change how we think and feel about ourselves, therefore others as well. The reason you're stuck in your sin is because you just don't know how much God loves you. The reason you're still angry about your past is you don't know the love of God to the depth of your soul in that area to bring you to a place of wholeness. If you know the love of God in that area, the world's effects on you have no more grip on you. It's just gone. It's just gone. To allow yourself to be loved by God is the path to wholeness and transformation and compels you into the great commission of going into the world and carrying the gospel because you love people. It's the way out of your funk is loving people. Because of all the stuff that's going on as you are seeking to do that, right? Now, if it's just a dead work, if you're just writing a check to your enemy because, bless God, I did the act of doing it, well, then, you know, get your heart involved. I was patient to that person. I smiled at that person. They were rude to me. And I just, yeah, but in your heart, you're killing them with your eyeballs. Now, he who keeps his commandments, verse 24, abides in him and he in him. And now, and by this we know, he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All right, I'm going to wrap it up on this. Here's your homework. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Because all this talk about walking in love, what is love? This is love. Ready? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in tongues of men or angels but do not have love... I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of love, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So here's the exercise. And this is the mirror that we look into the Word and allow these character traits to be reflected back into us in a way that we desire these and they are genuine fruits in our lives toward others. Love is patient. Now, here's the exercise that I want you to engage this week. Take this list. And so what I did, if you can see this, I didn't really, I didn't really write it out, but if you see, I've got a list here and I've got the list is what's in these passages. So, I'm just going to say, patient, kind, does not envy or jealous, does not boast, is not proud, and so on. Now, you take this in whatever area it is because we're called to walk in love, okay? Now, if it might be a specific situation that you're dealing with, one of these more than the others might stand out. But if you're just doing great, you don't have any problems, you're getting along with everybody, still put this within you. And you can even put I am in front of it to the point that you actually feel this. And if you're going into a place that's contentious, and you're, see, because I think the rewards that we're going to get when we pass into heaven and we're standing before Jesus and whatever that reward system is, you're going to get rewarded, whatever that looks like, for the times that you were patient and kind and you weren't jealous and you genuinely believed the best about others. And you genuinely wanted the best for others in those things, right? Like those, like those moments where you just, it's not your selfishness isn't stirred up, your, your anger and your offense wasn't stirred up, 
but you want the best. So I am patient. I am kind. I am not jealous. I don't boast. I'm not proud. I don't dishonor others. I am not self-seeking. I am not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. I don't delight in evil. I rejoice with the truth. I always protect. I always trust. I always hope. And I always persevere. Honestly, write those things out this week. Write those out and just sit and say those things out loud because you are called to walk in love. If you're struggling in your life, put what love is so that you know what it is because here's what's going to happen. You're going to read through this list. You're going to hear it. It's going to make sense to you. You're going to remember these words. Then you're going to go out to live your life and God's going to say, uh-uh-uh, remember, you're patient. You're long-suffering. You don't keep records of wrongs here. You're not easily offended. You, you, you are the kind of person that always protects. This needs to be protected in this moment. You protect this. This person needs you to protect them in this moment. You're not protecting them. You're leaving them uncovered in this moment. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for you. But you've got to know what love is. This is love. You are called to walk in it, and we have to be committed to it. To the degree, I mean, it's, it's the commandment of Jesus. It assures our heart when we display these things. It assures our heart who we are in Him. It tunes our ear to hear His voice when He bears witness to our spirit that we are His. Those choices that you need to make of wisdom and those career choices and those choices of how to raise your children and how to talk to your spouse and even your diet and all these kinds of things. God is in the moment active. He's got plans for your future. But in the moment right now, you need to know how to let Him shape you and lead you in such a way that you're going to display love. Because what that will do is it will assure your heart before Him, makes your heart confident before God, and then what? Then you receive everything that you ask for. That's what the Word says. Everything that you ask for. I suspect... If you're walking in that kind of love, you're only going to ask for the things that He wants for you. Are you with me? It's just talking about this harmonizing. But this is what the world needs to see. The world needs to see a church not weak, not codependent, not doing for others that which they should do for themselves, not making excuse for sin, not going light on people and their weaknesses and their traumas. You know, people that have the same excuses over and over and over again doesn't mean we just... Don't challenge that. We still go to one another if we see each other caught and trapped in sin. All of that stuff still applies. There's actually more responsibility in a message like this than there is one that is making you question your salvation because you're expected to keep His commandments. Love Him, love people. Believe on His name. Believe on His authority in your life and let that be birthed into love for you. Take that list and just familiarize yourself more than anything with what love is. See yourself in that because it's kind of like, you know, I, I wrestled for seven years and we would drill, hour mat drills, hour takedown drills, and an hour of wrestling, all with trash bags on three hours a day. It was nuts. That guy should have been arrested. No, it actually, he, he was incredible in my life and that stuff still affects me today. But when you're out there on the mat, you're not thinking about, I need to make this move you, you, because you're so familiar with what, position you're in, it, it just you just feel it, and you just do that move. You know, it's like when you're counting, they teach people that are in banks how to spot counterfeit money by giving them a stack of real money, and you become so familiar with the real thing that, oh, wait a minute, that, yeah, that's the fake one. You just feel it, right? I don't know if they do that anymore. I know they got those machines, but that used to be a thing. That's probably a 70s preacher thing. <laughs> it's pretty good, though, right? You know what I'm saying? You become so familiar with the real thing that you, even in your own heart, ah, this is not, this is not who God is in me. This is not who I really am. I'm not going to entertain this jealousy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let this offense fester. And that's the kind of stuff that as we love one another shows the world that we follow Jesus. Like, like we're looking for this big revival and we're looking for the church to figure out how to finally walk in these powerful miracles and all this stuff. And I want that stuff. But what he tells us is 
what will show the world that we follow Him is our love for one another. And what will convince them to desire Him as well is that they see us in our love loving them. It's just the way that it works. That is what will convince unbelievers. John 17, he says, our unity in one another, our, I'm, I'm in you and it's there in you and you're in me and I'm in them and they're in us and we in this so that the world will believe that Jesus, that you sent me for them too. It's how it works. It's so simple we overlook it. We don't understand how powerful it is because we're not committed to it in and of ourselves. And it's easier than we think. And maybe because it's too easy, we're looking for something that's, you know, you know what I mean? We're like looking for this big booming thing. It's like, you know, just walk humbly. Just be kind, be patient. Look for opportunities to let love seek out of, seep out of you, you know? Don't have to be the big booming thing. It's easier than we think. Just look for opportunities to take care of people. And it speaks loudly because people are desperate for it. There are, like I'm telling you, like the people, the bipolar couple, there are people out there. I hear stories, I run across people, and it's like, oh my gosh, what, how can I? Oh, yeah, Jesus, right. That's the only thing we have is Jesus. Our love for each other and Jesus. Because the gospel will change their lives. It just will. That's the only thing we have is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the way that we show the gospel is loving one another. Amen? Stand up with me. Uh, I, I, really, I really do hope that you take that. I'll post it on Facebook. We'll send it out in an email. Take the list yourself. And don't, don't just read through the 1 Corinthians, 1 through, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. Actually write it out. Take some time this week to write out each one of those attributes for yourself and look at them and just... Have it in your heart and mind that this is who I am. This is who, this is who God is. This is love. This In this is love. In this is for me to wait, to li- a way to live a life that is pleasing to the Father because I'm committed to walking in love. Father, we are committed to you. We are committed to believe in the authority of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is your Son, Jesus. You are our Savior, our Lord, our God. You're all wrapped up in together. You've given us your Spirit You are our righteousness. You are our freedom. You are our wisdom and our strength and our sanctification and our peace. You are everything that we need to become. You are already that in us, and we just yield to you to let you shape that in us. And we are committed to walking in love. Walking in love, it's like it keeps that channel open to let you continue to move in our lives so that we assure our hearts before you. Just simply just say, I am committed to walking in love. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this heart journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.